everyone, it's Blake and Kelly here from the Sports Medicine Project. You are about to listen to an episode on ITB syndrome or ITB pain in a runner. Um, Blake, tell us what we talked about. Yeah, so we just another quick case study. Well, we planned to be quick, but it ended up being quite long, as they always are. But yeah, we talked about a, a case study of mine for a person with lateral knee pain. Uh, this person's a runner, ended up being ITB syndrome, but we talked a couple of things and obviously more in depth than what I'm about to say, but we talked about some management strategies, returning to running with ITB pain, um, some of the, I guess, the strength considerations, some pathologies not to miss, and yeah, a whole lot more. But I did wanna say there's obviously more than what we can give away with these cases, um, or there's more to them, and there's a lot more nuance to them for sure. We typically just talk about the important parts, but undoubtedly there's gonna be things that we miss. But yeah, enjoy guys. I think you'll really like this one, and we'll see you guys next week. to another episode of the Sports Medicine Project. Kelly and Blake here taking you through a ITB case study with one of Blake's patients. Um, so yeah, I'm keen to talk about it. We've done an episode on ITB pain before, but this time we're going to apply it to an actual real life case. So it should be a good one. But before we get started on that, we thought we'd give you guys a little bit of an introduction on who we are, what we do. There's um, apparently a few new listeners, so we <laughs> thought it would be useful to, to update you on on ourselves. Yeah, there's heaps of new listeners. I feel like heaps you... Heaps and heaps Yeah, you don't check the stats as much. I feel like I'm checking no, it all the time. I'm just here for the combo. Yeah, every I'm just hour, here I'm for the that. chat. <laughs> yeah, um, you're, you're definitely right. We do have a, a couple hundred on average, probably... Yeah, I think around 220 new listeners and we just use that because we just get a, a list of the average amount of listeners per episode, which is good. So welcome to you all. We thought we would quickly run through, you know, who I am, who Kelly is, what we do for work and maybe even finish with why we started the podcast or maybe I guess the goal of the podcast. So mm-hmm. yeah, do you want to want to kick us off? Sure. So my name's Kelly. I'm a physiotherapist. I work at Newcastle Performance Physio, which is a private practice in the Newcastle city area. So with two other physios, Dave and Joe, we see a range of different patients there. Um, My particular interest would be in runners and female athletes, I would say. That's what gets me most excited Mm. that walks through the door. But I love seeing anything and everything. Mm. Um, I see a a little bit of NDIS every now and then. I also like treating chronic or persistent pain. So I I enjoy it all. I I just enjoy working with people and talking with people all day. And it's a great a great place to work so I'm very fortunate to have you know two gyms within my practice so a lot of what we do is uh, very exercise based and strength and conditioning based and rehab based so we get a lot of uh, ACLs through the door as well which is fun rehab and yeah, yeah I that's probably my my work life um, I got I love seeing running patients because I love running myself I'm an um, probably a pretty mediocre runner no, I would say and no I'm, I'm pretty average but I just love it I just think it's the best thing ever and I just mm. passionate about it yeah and yeah yeah that pretty much wraps me up in a nutshell and yeah. former triathlete 
Formal trial. Nah, well, well still we going. had a chat last night. We might do a little sprint try in a few weeks. Yeah. Haven't swam or rode in like six months, but we thought we'd mm. sign ourselves up to the Maitland Tri Sprint. See how we go. Yeah. And you've been a runner for a long time. Like I'm, I've always done a little bit of running, but you've properly run since year nine. You've mm. run for, yeah, very, very long time. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else as a professional life and sporting, athletic life? What have you got coming up race-wise in the running? Well, we've got Lake Macquarie half Lake and Mac. Blackmore's and half. Blackmore's half. And then Queenstown Marathon yes, in November, nice. which I'm very excited for. Yeah, and then possibly Maitland Tri. And Try. Maitland Tri Sprint, yeah. Dust the cobwebs off the bike. Yes, yeah. What about you? Yeah, so I'm Blake. And so similar to Kelly, I work in a private practice as a podiatrist with a little bit more... I guess predominantly a, an MSK focus. So the, probably 99% of my diary is musculoskeletal, foot and ankle, and, and sometimes lower leg. And in this case study today, um, the lower knee. But yeah, so I work... Lower knee, not the upper knee. <laughs> yeah, middle knee. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I work in private practice. I also teach, lecture, and do some research with the University of Newcastle. And yeah, we've got the podcast. I also you know, love to, to run as well. And I also work with the Future Health Network. So it's myself, Dave Renfrew and Justin Smith, which is yeah, just a, a Facebook group dedicated to clinicians getting better, talking lots of things, you know, case studies, pain science, that kind of thing. So if you're if you've got the time, open up your phone, jump on Facebook. If you're not driving, pull over, open up your phone, join the Future Health Network and yeah, we would love to have you in there. So it's a yeah. good group. I enjoy reading through the comments and having input every now and then when I get little ideas. But it is good. It's good yeah. to just bounce ideas off each other about probably more like deeper level thinking in in yeah, practice, the, the like concepts. rather than just like how what exercise is best for quad strength. It's more the yeah mm. the underlying principles and concepts and foundations that you develop as a clinician, which I think is cool. Yeah, the critical thinking, and that's mm. the stuff that lasts. Like we know that. I guess the best gold standard treatment for conditions changes over time. You know, it used to be the best thing for tendinopathies was stretching. And we know that's adapted and changed and, and, you know, it's moved towards more resistance training. But maybe the way that you critically think about managing it doesn't change, I guess. That's probably more more our focus. But we also do post-case studies. No, I reckon that's changes as well, though. Yeah, you're right. I guess everything changes. Mm. <laughs> So, yeah. And that's for all clinicians as well, not just physios, not podiatrists. If you're an occupational therapist, an exercise physiologist, a dietitian, speech therapist, maybe there would be yeah, some Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talk about everyone suffers. I would say that most people, nearly all clinicians, deal with somebody possibly in pain or wanting to stay out of pain or to prevent pain, that kind of thing, if that's even possible. But it's really good, really good communication. And nobody's there to... I guess bring other people down, which mm. some other groups are notorious for. It's more just, you know, no one has a wrong answer. And if you do have an answer that, that may not you know align, it's good to have that kind of discussion. It's great to have conflicting views. Mm. Great. So let's talk about this patient. Now I'm going to do a quick intro of a couple, I guess, of my objective, subjective um, assessment tests. So several months ago, a patient of mine developed a or some lateral knee pain. Saw physio, got better in a couple of weeks. Um, they said, you know, they thought it was ITV syndrome and it, and it got better. So yeah, no no issues there. And then eight weeks ago, on a 17 kilometer long run, noticed some pain, 
down the outside of the other side of the knee. So sore physio again, didn't get better, told to stop running, or sorry, had to stop running, and then saw the specialist four weeks ago, MRI, true rod, anything nastier and, and sinister, sinister, <laughs> sinister, <laughs> sinister, confirmed ITB, then had some cortisone, which improved symptoms, went for a run and had no issues. And then, yeah, specialist sent to me, I um, saw this person this Why week. Why did the specialist send them to you out of curiosity? Mm, I actually haven't, haven't, haven't had a chance to talk not to Not to specialist. say that you're not good at that. No, no. But I'm just curious as to... Yeah, well, I, I sent this person to somebody else. But mm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I actually haven't had a chance to discuss. This is a fresh one. I haven't had a chance to discuss with the specialist. Mm. I think possibly, which we'll talk about... Um, this person's biomechanics and alignment, you know, I'm not going to say malalign, but there was, there was, I guess you could argue there was some indication where you would possibly think her biomechanics may play a little bit more of a role. Like her foot biomechanics. Well, just lower limb alignment. So, you know, a more various knee position, um, wider Q angle, cavus foot, that kind of thing. So, and, and definitely we'll, we'll talk about this towards the end, but I'll, I'll just finish this part about that, but that is a good question. So had the cortisone, then tried to run and it felt okay in the last week. So I had the cortisone two weeks ago. Uh, hasn't run since. Then I saw this person this, this week or the last week. You know, a couple of the goals, plenty of marathons and half, marathon, yeah, half marathons over the next year. Still doing some exercise for the physio, but not much improvement. You know, really struggling to, I guess, to, to run, not having any day-to-day pain. So we did some running back in the clinic and yeah, the pain came on pretty quickly. So we, I didn't say that to this person, but I just assumed that possibly the cortisone had maybe worn off or wasn't being as effective. So we just went through, you know, a running assessment, mm. some subjective stuff, some objective stuff, but basically the, the crux of it was this person is now going to see a, a running physio um yeah it wasn't an indication for for me to to offer any treatment and we'll talk a little bit about itb and and i would like to hear your thoughts on exactly just how would you build this person up i basically said you know we need some resistance training likely to be heavy depending on what stage likely to be heavy and yeah some some really not in depth but just some proper run programming Mm, yeah interesting um i it's I don't know where to start, but it's something that I was just thinking about when you were talking just then. I I definitely find with a lot of tendon issues and ITB, I kind of think about them in a similar sort of bucket, but it's it's often the case where if people stop and rest, it it feels Mm -hmm. better while you're resting, of course, like anything, Mm -hmm. you're just avoiding doing the thing that hurts. But then as soon as you go to do something again, it tends to hurt again because you haven't tried to expose it back into that provocative activity yet. And so that's why graded exposure and return to running programs can be so helpful because it's it's about convincing your system as well as those specific structures or tissues mm. that loading it in this particular way is is safe. It's not going to break anything. It's not going to kill you. You can do it, <laughs> yeah. but you need to yeah, do right. something. You can't. Yeah. It's just like from it's going like like for example, I had a patient a while ago who I was treating for his back. Um, and he, he, his black back flared up and I'd been, I'd seen him previously and he came in, he's like, my back's flared up. And I was like, all right, well, let's get your back going again, doing something. Sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but whatever. Um, 
so he's like, I've been doing the cat camels, I've been doing child's poses, knee rock stretching, but then every time I try and play soccer on the weekend, it just flares up. And I'm like, okay, so you're doing a lot of stretching stuff that makes it feel better. And then you're calming it down, it feels good. And then you're going and playing soccer on the weekend. So what are you doing to bridge the gap in between? He's like, well, nothing. I'm like, so that's probably an issue. Like that's something Mm. that we could work on is bridging that gap. And I think a lot of what we do for tendons and ITB pain and patellofemoral pain and a lot of these running related conditions or maybe anything is very similar. It's about what can we do to fill the the void. Yeah, and you can treat an ITB... Well, some of the podcasts we listen to, I know Rich really talks about this, you can treat the ITB, even though it's not a tendon in mm. regards to its properties, you can almost treat the condition like a tendon. Yeah. But I want to get your opinion on this. I know mm. we discussed this on Friday night. A really weapon um, sports podiatrist, Michael Nisky from Adelaide. For some reason, I thought he was from Melbourne, but from Adelaide. Yeah, look him up if you want to learn some really good stuff about basically anything, yeah, anything lower limb and running. He was saying, and we were having a bit of a discussion with rehab and strength training for ITB because we, we think it's more, it was once thought to be a friction, but now we think it's more compression over that fat pad that's really highly innovated. And it makes complete logical sense that doing rehab and heavy resistance training would only compress that more and flare it up. Mm. Yeah, but we know from the research, or there is some research to say that, um, you know, heavy resistance training does benefit ITB syndrome. Mm. What, what do you think? It's a bit conflicting. We're talking about this off I don't think before. that the evidence is that clear, to be honest, with, with something like this. But again, I think it, regardless of what you're specifically loading and how, by, and which mechanism you're achieving something, mm. I think you can't, like, I think you need to do something to build that person towards their goals Mm. like I don't think you can just be like all right let it rest I don't think it's one of those tissues that will just say let's rest 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 cortisone whatever I think Mm. you need to come up with some sort of graded something to get them back towards Mm. their goals at least Mm. and to be fair he didn't say like complete rest he just said and you can think generally three phases like the pain dominant phase, or we more call it like calming shit down, building shit back up, and then figuring out how much you need to rely on those other treatments that, mm. you, that you've done previously. So he was saying perhaps, and I was like, yes, heavy resistance, give it lots of strength training, heavy resistance, slow um, eccentric exercises. And it made me think about it and kind of check myself because I can be a little bit of an absolute all or nothing guy with, with what I recommend. And I thought maybe I, maybe I am just giving it- What first. was he suggesting? Um, not doing it and it's hard and I don't want to change his words too much Um, but he was suggesting like as I was saying yep it just needs heavy resistance training like all the time from the get-go but he was suggesting perhaps earlier on not as heavy resistance training because it needs some chance to recover and unload definitely in the future he said but I think it just depends on how irritable the person is though right like yeah you're right and there's obviously more nuance to it than what than what we're discussing but I can see where he's coming from and I was comparing it to but that's no different to anything like if you've got a really reactive irritable tendon like it might need a a couple of days to just Mm. settle Mm. um like same with back pain like if someone's got really oh you still i mean movement is still a good idea and but it's yeah well different like i was comparing it to like a compressive plantar heel pain versus a tenuative one Mm -hmm. and 
they constantly like a compressive one just gets loaded and loaded and loaded and it just gets not worse and worse but it never gets better and i wonder if that has any indication for itb and not saying complete rest but Mm. maybe just doing some strength training doesn't have to be heavy like three sets of five maybe just doing some resistance training and lower lower running volume is enough of a rest but still keeping some tolerance in the tissue but it it makes more sense logically because you don't want to stress it too much yeah, but obviously I you do want. That. Yeah, you do want to stress it somewhat. Particularly because it, as far as we know and what we think is, it's maybe not so much the ITB itself. It probably is more that highly innovated fat pad that's underneath the mm. ITB. Yeah. So what's loading it going to do? But then again, I still think it needs something to. It does. You're be right. exposed back into running or whatever activity it is. Often running, cycling yeah. sometimes. Well, I'm going to make a note of this because he's coming on the podcast in a month or I think about a month. So he'll be able to clarify for this and he'll probably tell me that I've got it all wrong. <laughs> but um, in the sense of just saying what he said, but he'll be able to clarify because he sees tons of runners as well. Yeah. Yeah. But Leah, let's talk a little bit about, because I know we talked about it previously with, with ITB and lateral knee pain, but what things do we want to rule out? Now, this person had to confirm with MRI, but what do you want to rule out with any lateral knee pain? You, I don't think you can often confirm it through an MRI, unless it's very irritated. I think that that sometimes doesn't even show up. I'm just going off the specialist. No, but I mean, and look, this person might have a really chronic um, irritated something, but I think sometimes an ITB issue won't always, I don't think it always will show up on imaging. Yeah. But I don't think you need to get an image. Yeah, and I think this person had had it had it done to just rule out Nasty anything things. a little bit underlying. Yeah, so such like, as yeah, so like a distal femoral BSI or, or a bone stress injury, which I don't want to say they're easy to rule out, but obviously one you definitely don't want to miss. And a couple mm-hmm. of things like I mean, there's there's plenty of questions you can ask, but obviously night pain or pain with rest or, or pain becoming worse and it not improving. Is there anything more? Yeah, that but you would that's have? not too dissimilar to an ITB. They have. Do people get night pain? But, with but you don't always have night pain with a bone stress injury. Yeah, unless guess, it's later down the stage. Like in an early bone stress injury, you probably won't have night pain. You and have an, more so consistent an, pain. You would expect. I would think you. I would think you would be able to differentiate between. Maybe not in the early stages. You're right. I agree. I think ITB pain's quite dis, like very very mm. distal. Uh, well, maybe. I mean, yeah. I guess you could get a bone stress injury there. I haven't seen it. I've seen like more mid sh- mid shaft yeah. or up like um, femoral head, but yeah, I think that's got the humorous then. Covering your hip, yeah, and yeah, you're right, you're right. But yeah, but like ITB pain typically will get worse throughout a run. It's not necessarily like a, a tendinopathy where it warms up and feels better with running. Mm. Same with a bone stress injury. Bone that's going to get worse throughout a run. Yeah. So it is one that could be a little bit more similar. I would say. Yeah, yeah. And if you're unsure, I mean, there's no harm. Like we were talking about a case that I had this week um, with a person that had had six months chronic lateral ankle pain and likely has an OCD lesion and I'd sent for an MRI. Like sometimes when you're suspicious, there's no harm. Oh, was that person six months down the track? Yeah. All right. I thought that was an acute ankle lateral ankle sprain. Oh, no, no, no. That's why I was like, why would you MRI then? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Like you had someone that you sent recently that had um, Mm. some stress reaction. So yeah, no no harm. And if it comes back clear, it comes back clear. Mm. Uh, The other one that I was a a little bit uh, surprised by, a gluteal tendinopathy. Have you ever seen it referred all the Mm. way down the knee? 
Yeah, and look, this is just more anecdotal, but those really irritated ones where there's potentially the the bursa that's quite irritated and inflamed as mm. well, then they're I think that they're more likely to refer down the lateral thigh. Mm. But again, like you'd you'd have a real diffuse ache often down the whole lateral thigh, yep. rather than that localized, more more localized pain that you tend to get around the the distal ITB mm. insertion. And then lateral meniscus injury, ruling out that, which yeah. some, I guess, pain along the joint line and maybe mechanical testing. Like, could you diff- is there a test you could think of that you could differentiate Yeah, like there's McMurray's, those? there's Thessaly's, like all of those things that sort of grind the meniscus or try yeah. and wind up the meniscus. But I guess as well, like if there's a more acute um, mechanism that could have brought something like that on. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Is there anything you could do functionally? Like, is it like a single leg squat? Would that be different? Is there anything that would be different between ITB like, and... Well, guess like Thessaly's. Which is what? Which is where you like stand on one leg and do a oh, little mini squat and yeah. then like twist yeah. and then McMurray's yeah. test and there's lots of different meniscus, which isn't great, yeah. but they, I don't think that any of those would make an irritated ITB hurt. Yeah. So with this person, and we'll talk about a couple of little caveats and I guess little clinical pearls that we'll throw in there, but I would be interested and I am interested to know if this person was to to come and see you and obviously they ran in the clinic and we only ran for like a couple of minutes and they had pain, Mm. you know, um, that lateral knee. Did you see their gait? Yeah. On the treadmill? Yeah. So I, and this is probably more so for podiatrists, so... I sent, like I only saw this person once and sent them to, to a physio with more of a run specialty. There was definitely an indication, undoubtedly, to... Is that how you pronounce that word? There was definitely an indication with the cavus foot type, like definitely putting more load laterally. I could easily justify using an orthotic with a lateral wedge to unpossibly, or even depending on which way you look at it. And it's hard to describe her biomechanics with audio, but there was an indication for an orthotic with wedging to possibly be able to to somewhat, or I guess hypothesize to unload the lateral compartment of this person's knee. But I explained- Did you, would you wedge laterally? Yeah, just because of the, the foot type, but you could also, the argument, depending on their biomechanics, you could wedge them medially. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. But yeah, so in this case, and I explained, um, that to this person and just said you know the whole spectrum of treatment like down one end of the end one of the sorry one end of the spectrum is surgery and all the way up the other end is basically doing nothing so we obviously start at one end where we do nothing and then we slowly work our way down all the way to surgery if it ever was to get to that case so we don't start at the other end so up the left side up where you know doing nothing is we follow the evidence which is resistance training load modification strength training all that kind of thing and then if that doesn't work then we start to get closer to the other end of surgery whether that be you know injectables or possibly looking at you know modifying biomechanics with orthotics and footwear and that kind of thing what surgery are they having I don't know. It's not so much of the to say they're going to be with surgery, but like saying. I don't think there's even any kind of surgery that you could do for that. No, no, and it's a it's a hyper. I more just want them to think about, I guess, the spectrum of treatment and the things that we try first, because there's an indication to to play around with her foot biomechanics. Yeah. But do I need to do that if this person hasn't done all the other good stuff first? Mm -hmm. And then I said to this person, if it gets eight months down the track and you're at ninety five percent, and the person I sent you to is like, oh, okay, we've done everything that we can possibly do, maybe now it's worth trying to get you that a little bit extra 
we're playing around with your biomechanics with an orthotic or footwear or, or something like that. So that's how I explain it. Because I know that some people would probably say, yep, do this and try this and try this orthotic and then you know go and see the, the running specialist. But I just don't think it was indicated as of yet because mm. I haven't tried the good stuff first. Yeah. Cool. So this person comes in the door. What are you doing? Or what's the first thing you're, you're working on? That's a hard question. It is a very hard question. <laughs> like if they can't really so run. So I would, despite having been like being sent um, letters and reports, I always want pa- patients or people to give me their whole story. Mm. Like despite what mm. information I have in front of me, I want them to relay it all back. I know that that's um, sometimes more time consuming and maybe there could be time spent better on other things but I just like to get as much information as I can from them as well because I know that things can sometimes be missed or Mm. maybe things haven't been delved into as much as it could be that I think is relevant for what I'm going to be able to do with them so I often say like just tell me everything I've like read through all of this and but I want to know you know start to finish what's your what's your story basically um and then I just let them talk for as long as they can without feeling weird and feeling as though they need me to prompt a question. Um, And then I get subjective running history, how long they've been running for, um, specific to this, like when did you start to get pain? How's this been managed? At what point does it stop you? How long does it take to settle down? All of those sorts of questions. Mm. Um, And then like based off this, like treatment-wise, how would you start with this person's running and then what would you look like with their strength training if they didn't have much pain with strength training like if they're able to do relatively lower limb exercises like squats and things relatively pain free but the pain's coming on with their running so it's really similar to when to when you had it yeah and that's i think that that's quite common from what i've seen is it's it's actually often very difficult to reach reproduce symptoms just in a in an assessment of someone's itb pain Mm -hmm. there are tests that you can do what's the name noble compression test i don't think that it's a fantastic test which is where you basically um flex someone's knees knee into like 40 degrees of flexion and then you compress on that lateral part of the itb or lateral part of the knee and you get them to to extend to like 10 degrees of flexion and then flex back to like 40 degrees multiple times and see if that re- reproduces symptoms i haven't found that to be very effective personally um i think that my diagnosis would predominantly come from history plus of course getting all the information from people that they've seen in the past um but yes as you said look if they're irritable with running and they want to be able to run then the first thing that i'm going to do is try and come up with some sort of graded return to running program um if i can if they if i've done a running assessment and there's particular things that i can look at and change within their biomechanics that allow them to run more comfortably then that's that's the first thing to do because that's what their goal is right like similar to sort of what Michael Nishke said, I guess, like maybe the strength training isn't as important as it, Mm. as people put an emphasis on, like, let's look at what their goals are and see if we can just at least get them started on that goal while we work on the other things that we think is helpful as well, like strength training. Mm. And I'm going to be really specific with this person. So they're a couple of minutes painful running. Mm -hmm. What's your recommendation? Like he's saying, to them, it's okay to run until it gets to this point? Or are you saying, you know, we're not going to start running until I can see you run on the treadmill pain-free? What are you, what are you thinking there? 
So if I, well, I guess I'm probably not going to look at their running in the first assessment, to be honest, anyways, because mm. that's probably pushing time a little bit. Um, I would say to them that they can try and do a little bit of running if they wanted to. I'd say, look, next time we see each other, we're going to have a look at your running and we're going to do a running assessment. And from that point, we're going to start to come up with a return to running program. Mm -hmm. But um, if they if they want to go out and try a little bit of running, then I would let them. I'd say, look, you're in control of how much you want to push this. But it's not one that I think has to be completely pain-free, but I do understand that when you experience pain with this one, it comes on quite fiercely and it's quite difficult to run through. Any other recommendations? So I have heard, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you can possibly have them running uphill because running downhill and speed work can put a little bit more pressure through those structures. So even running uphill yeah. or if they're struggling to run flat, you can have them up on a treadmill walking, mm. even just walking on an incline so they're still loading their lower limb and then possibly trying some running. Yeah. I mean, look, there's so many different things that you can recommend and recommend that's mm. very specific like that. And yes, I agree with all of those things, but sometimes it's, I feel like sometimes you do need to give a patient a little bit of freedom to make their own decisions themselves as well like maybe they don't have access to a treadmill so mm. then they feel stressed because they need to get to a treadmill or join a gym or something like that I think giving them a little bit of reassurance and confidence that they they probably can you know just go out and try a little bit of a run and see how it goes is is okay as well mm -hmm. however in saying that yes like often with ITB pain as well as patellofemoral pain it will be worse going down hills so running down hills walking down hills walking downstairs if it's really irritable so you you can try and flip that on the reverse and get them running or walking up a, a slight incline on a treadmill or even mm -hmm. a slight incline on a hill and that will just shift the load from the quads I guess or the the front of the leg to the back so making mm -hmm. your glutes and your hamstrings work a little bit harder so it might just be a way to mm. offload that um is it similar to like a BSI where people I've, I haven't had these symptoms but it's when people and obviously don't see much too often in the clinic but people as soon as they start running they get that discomfort so like how, like what recommendation are you no. saying? Like, you know, it's okay to run with a two out of 10 as long as it pulls up okay during after the day after? Like, pardon me, similar to tendons or is it just go out and see how you go? Yeah, go. I, I, I probably would give advice sort of more similar to, to like a tendon where a little mm. bit of pain is okay. But I don't know, just, just from experience and from like patients that I've seen is that it does come on quite intensely and it is quite a difficult one to run through. It's actually one that I probably run program a little bit differently to how I run pro like return to run program for other things. I probably do less of like a walk run program and more so just see how long you can run for mm. and then the rest of it like that's that's okay. stop there which that's is why one. I think a treadmill can be helpful because then you can go for as long as you can and then just get off and stop straight away yeah as I like well. that I like that well, that's um, good that's good yeah. I've, I've never heard I mean I know that return to running should look sh not always but they, it can be different between pathologies so that's a good one to know and I actually didn't know that so that's mm. good I hope the listeners get take that on board in regards to to strength training and gym programming and things like that again similar to what we've been talking about it, it's I probably treat it more similarly to a tendon mm -hmm. than than other injuries um like 
but then it questions, you know, what, what structure or area is it that's particularly involved? And if it is the fat pad, then this, this principle, I question how well it applies. But basically, the, the ITB should be thought of as a big energy storage and release structure of the body. So rubber it's, band. Yeah, it's like a big rubber band. It's, you can almost think of it a little bit similar to how you'd think about your Achilles tendon. So you mm. want it to be springy, you want it to be stiff, and that's going to be the way that it's most effectively used in in like when we're running so the the best way to create a stiff strong spring is by heavy slow resistance training Mm. and then eventually plyometrics so that that's certainly a component of a rehab program that i would like to include and look i don't think that there's any harm in including those elements within a runner's programming anyways whether it has the effect that we think it does or Mm. not i think it's worthwhile for for many reasons so it's certainly something that i would include and do include in um, a runner's program with itb pain whether it has works in the effect that we think it does Mm. i'm not sure but i still do it yeah yeah, and then speed and downhill stuff, or probably more so speed, comes in more towards the end because that just increases. Because we think of that ITB, the the magnitude of load it has, you know, through that or that, I guess that innovative fat pad. So the quicker we run, the higher the magnitude of force will be. So that should come in a little bit later. Yeah. 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 Would you? Is there and look any... again, like I think that these things are <laughs> these are probably more rules, right? Like I think patients are gonna. Like that, if we had like a perfect textbook picture, Hmm. then yes, these things are all great, but that never happens in real life. (laughs) Like some of these things don't happen. That's why I'm being a little bit vague with how I'm answering Hmm. your questions because like, yeah, that's all probably in the ideal world and the ideal scenario, but I don't think that we've got that very often. No, I agree. I agree. The re- I guess why I ask you is because even if we are talking in absolutes, it's better than, than not having any information at all. Because yeah. obviously for the audio, it's so hard to say, well, this was the case, if this was the case. But yeah, still, you are right to always in, in the grey area. Mm. Yeah. So the other thing I, I did want to talk about was the TFL tightness and stretching. So we once thought the tightness of that TFL may be related to the symptoms and the I guess the magnitude of symptoms with ITB but there was that cadaver study that Rich really talked about where they had fresh fresh cadavers and they basically cut people's TFL and it didn't change the tightness of the ITB or it changes a tiny tiny bit yeah so what, what Blake's referring to is um, a lot of physios maybe podiatrists um, <laughs> will know the OBAS test do you know what I'm, the OBAS test is yeah yep 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 you we do that okay one. I didn't know if you knew anything above the foot. Yeah. Well, legally, we can treat to the pelvic girdle because we did a physio presentation this week and I remember opening with that line, but we definitely shouldn't be treating up to the pelvic girdle. Yeah. Yeah. So Oba's test, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically when you're lying on your side and then your top leg drops back behind you and they say that if your leg doesn't drop below the level of the plinth or the bed, then that's considered someone having a tight itb but um the yeah the study that that blake was referring to was um in a cadaver study they they snipped someone's itb and they found no difference it was actually more so a restriction of the glute medius muscle so that test isn't really looking at someone's itb tightness it's more so looking at their glute medius i'm gonna pull you up was it medius or maximus medius medius all right and Yeah. yeah it was more do you say the joint capsule as well 
The over oh, or the joint capsule. The joint capsule. Yeah. 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 So it's a good test to see someone's joint capsule tightness. But then goes. again, like again, this is how our thoughts around the ITB have changed. Is who wants a loose, floppy ITB anyways? Like mm. we want that to be stiff. We want that to be tight. Like you don't want to like you can't, but you don't want to foam roll and stretch it anyways. Not mm. that you'd achieve anything and it's by doing that. From coming out. <laughs> like the, the the looser in quotation marks it is, the more that your knee is going to come out. You reckon? Yeah, because it would res- come out. What do you mean? Because it resists various loads. Just explode outside. <laughs> hey, it could. The ITV is the only thing I hold my knee together. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. On the right side. Yeah, true. With no ACL on that side. Or LCL. Have you lost that as well? No, nah, I think I that still was reckon only they're healed. Maybe a partial. Tear. We should talk about that actually. Yeah, I Once. do want to get an MRI of that. I'll, mm. After I get an ultrasound of my calf. Nah. I just think it would be cool to see. You know, to see what it looks like. Because you always wonder, whenever you have a bit of pain, like, I wonder what that looks like underneath. And it's, I can see now where patients see the value in it. Because we, obviously we know it's probably not that but important. But then it might but sometimes have a it slight increased signalling and then you'll be like too scared <laughs> oh, to run ever think. again. Let's see if I myself out of running. You will. Yeah. So takeaways from this, more heavy load equals or should equal more stiffness in the long term for the ITB, which is a good thing. Yeah. We think it's more compressive load and perhaps more so with the return to running, it doesn't really need to be, or it can be. And again, like you said, things aren't from the textbook. As much as walk, run, you know, maybe just go out and test it like a bit like a tendon and see how it goes. Yeah. The other thing to probably comment on is just um, biomechanics with running. I still have a tendency, even though this isn't, very well supported in research but if someone is running with a crossover gait pattern and they have uh or increased hip adduction whatever you want to say um and they have an itb issue then i'm i will have a i have a tendency to widen that gait out and i think it helps yeah definitely like i think that people will get immediate improvements in their symptoms if that is a because i think it's like everything that's not the the only thing in the in the picture but i do think it's a contributing factor that does um affect that compressive load on the underneath the itb and it's an easy thing to to think about when running and a quick thing to intervene with that might allow that person to run, to go from one minute of running to three minutes of running. Mm. So that's worthwhile to me. Yeah, definitely. And you, yeah, so definitely always remember to rule out the other sinister stuff. Again, you, you were saying it's, it's probably very less common to see uh, yeah. a BSI or a bone tooth injury there. The yeah. other thing that I was thinking about with that is the BSI you'd manage differently for sure, but the lateral meniscus injury or the glute tendinopathy, I don't reckon you'd manage it too differently. Mm. I think you'd manage it the same. So I think you'd still get a good outcome. Mm. And if people are in pain, they can, or they're you know pain as soon as they start running, possibly trying some uphill walking on a treadmill or uphill running and giving that a bit of a crack until they can get back to, to some kind of symptomatic relief or asymptomatic running. Awesome. Cool. Anything to leave the listeners with before we hit the stop button? If you've got ITB pain, I feel for you. It sucks. I would put my... I'd say that that would be the worst running injury I've ever had, I reckon. More than even the BSI. Yeah. It's just painful. Like, it just hurts.